I don't know how long it had gone on for. I think it, it sort of, it starts slowly. Mm. Um, but I remember there was a day where I, I was at home with the kids. They were about eight or nine months old. And I was just breaking down in tears. Mm. Um, and it, I remember I called my parents and said, can you just come and watch the kids? I need to go and see something. I lost many. Mm. Um, so I stopped doing anything really. If anyone asked me what I enjoyed doing, I couldn't answer it. Um, and I withdrew considerably from everyone. So, so mm. as you said, I, people didn't know, but I just withdrew from everyone. Um, and so it was sort of more a finding out about Welcome to the RMA podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Nicole Bunyan, founder of Running Mums Australia. Each episode, I will be speaking to everyday women who have an inspiring story to tell. We will cover the highs and lows of their own journey, the impact motherhood has had on their life, and how running has inspired them to live wilder, dream bigger, and change the world around them. Thank you for joining us on this new adventure that will hopefully leave an imprint for you to live out your own life inspired to conquer goals you never thought possible. Welcome back to episode 13 of the RMA podcast. I'm glad you've joined me today. Today I speak to someone very special to me, my sister-in-law, Debbie Schulstad. I talked to Debbie about what it is like as an ex-Olympian who has retired from sport. There's so much talk in the media these days around sports women and men and what happens when they retire. I wanted to get an insight into this experience from Debbie because I watched Debbie compete at the 2000 Sydney Olympic Games. Debbie was a hurdler and she competed in the 100 metre hurdles event. And then I watched as Debbie transitioned out of sport and I saw how much Debbie struggled with that. Sport played such a big part in her life and her whole existence was wrapped up around being the best that she could be. And I wanted to touch on this with Debbie and what it was like when this was taken away from her. I talked to Deb about the transition from sport into motherhood and also into working and how she struggled with losing herself a little bit. Debbie was also diagnosed with depression as a result from this struggle And we talk about the impact that this has had on her life. I'm pleased to say that Debbie does still have a role in sport. She works as a remedial and sports massage therapist, and she often travels with the Australian athletics team and other teams across the globe to support them. So it's not all bad, but we do talk about the struggles that Debbie has had as a high performance athlete and how when things are taken away from us that are so ingrained in us, how this can affect someone's life. I hope you enjoy. Before we begin, a message from this week's sponsor, Physiocrem Massage Gel. 
PhysioCram has been helping running mums Australia to achieve their running goals for years now and ease those post-training muscular aches and pains. Hurting sucks and PhysioCram has our back. To get your own PhysioCram, head to www.physiocram.com.au. Don't forget, if you're a member of the member program, you can get 20% off with your member code. You can also find PhysioCram at your local pharmacy. Hi Deb, welcome to the RMA podcast. Thanks for having me. I wanted to start the podcast off by introducing you to the listeners. So for those that aren't aware, Debbie is my sister-in-law, so I'm very lucky to have her in my life. And I wanted to interview Debbie for a very long time. Um, We have done a blog with Debbie in the past on RMA regarding her experiences Um, as an elite athlete and moving into retirement and motherhood and how that journey has been for her. And I thought that this conversation would be really good discussing transitioning after sport from a high performance perspective and dealing with navigating the pathways of career, family and um, finding yourself during that time. Touching on the feelings of worthiness, achievement, and what drives you to be the best version of yourself, given the experiences from the past to the present, and then obviously into the future. And a lot of um, talk is around athletes and performance and sport, and also around what happens to them after sport. And I thought, well, what better person to interview than you, because you're part of my family and my world. And I see the struggles, I guess, that you've had to deal with in transitioning from this place Um, and also the amazing things that you've learned about yourself along the way. And I wanted to be able to share that experience and I'm really thankful that you're open to sharing that with people too. So thanks for coming. You're welcome. (laughs) I know this is quite nerve-wracking for you um, being interviewed and... You know, it's just a conversation between you and I, like we were just having at the dining table before. (laughs) So pretend the microphone's not in front of your face. Um, And we'll just talk about your life, how you um, went from being a junior in athletics to the pinnacle of your career at the 2000 Sydney Olympic Games. Your uh, main focus at that time was the hurdles event, 100 metre hurdles um, for those games. But we'll talk about, you know, all the different things that you did in athletics as well and finding love with my brother, Craig, um, navigating through your life as an athlete, um, particularly as a young athlete, uh, moving into that period of transition into adulthood um, and having kids and then now what that perspective has looked like for you looking back and what you think how it's shaped you, I guess, um, into what you want to be and what you want to share with your children um, about how they can achieve and and follow their dreams and goals as well. So thanks for joining us today. There's a lot in that intro, but um, there's so many different facets to you, which is what makes you fascinating. Uh, it's one word. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It's really fascinating. And I actually really am lucky to have such a great role model Um, even though you yourself as you've expressed to me don't feel that way about yourself but to have you as a role model in our family um, it's 
I don't know, I look up to you. What things that you have achieved, um, I guess, are things that I could only dream of achieving. And I think everybody has their talents and skills in different ways. Yes, they do. Um, and I just think it's amazing what you have achieved in your life. And if anything, it's taught me that just because you've got to a particular place in your life and for you it was the pinnacle of sport uh, competing at the olympic games mm. you're just an everyday person like everybody else but you worked hard to get where you got and you learn a lot of things about yourself along the way and nobody can take that away from you no they can't because you worked hard to get there yes right so um it's, it's taught me a lot of lessons about um resilience and having set setting myself goals and working hard to get where I would like to be. Um, And, and I'm sure that you've taught a lot of people in our family that too. So thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I know you need to just say thank you because I know you don't see it in yourself, but, but others do. So, yeah. So let's just start off. I like to start off with all of my guests just talking about how they kind of got to where they got to, but it all sort of starts off from our childhood, I guess, in a way sometimes, how we were shaped and raised. Um, And your athletic career started quite young. So do you want to just tell people how you got into athletics and what you enjoyed about it back then when you were little? Sure. Um, I started in little athletics when I was about 10. Mm-hmm. Um, I competed at school athletics when I was little, like most of us do. Yeah. And I did okay. Um, and I remember one of the girls at my school, and her dad, who was at, she, she was really good at athletics, mm-hmm. and they suggested to my parents I should try little athletics. And my myself and my family had no idea what that was. <laughs> we had no clue. Um, and so we joined up at the local athletic club and mm-hmm. I just sort of began from there. It's interesting though, because I, as a kid, like even younger kid, I was the clumsiest kid ever. Um, <laughs> I would walking things, fall over things like, so for me to end up as a hurdler, <laughs> a, a, yeah, in a technical event, yeah. I think surprised a lot of people. Mm, so. That is interesting. I wonder if it's, uh, well, did you choose hurdles? Oh, we'll get into that. But yeah. was that like, I mean, that's an interesting yeah. choice, I guess. But anyway, we'll get into that because I was, I mean, even on my, one of my last guests was um, a hammer thrower. Mm, I, I <laughs> and that, yeah. it's so interesting because you wouldn't think you'd choose hammer throw, but it was just something that she loved to do. And yeah, yeah it's just yeah. interesting when you've, I mean, I don't know that many hurdlers. You're pretty much it. So, where you probably yeah, know lots. I know a few. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But so, when you went to Little Athletics, and it was, yep. was it the Campbelltown, Campbelltown Club? Club? Yep. Yep. Um, what did you love most about competing at Little Athletics as a child? To be honest, I can't remember. Yeah. I just enjoyed going. Yeah. Um, and funnily enough, I didn't like long distance, mm-hmm. but I did everything else. So, I ran, I jumped, I threw, mm-hmm. um, I kind of just did, did all of it. I mm-hmm. liked... I don't know, I think I liked competing. Yeah, so you liked that competition side, so. you liked that feeling it gave you, pushing yeah. hard and great. Yeah. So were you like focusing at a young age on one particular event there or was it more, I mean I know Friday nights little athletics because mm-hmm. I used to go sitting in the stands <laughs> every Friday night when my brother was doing it. Um, for some reason we, I don't know why, I cannot remember why we didn't do it. We did netball but I remember you used to, 
watch everybody doing all the different things. Um, but is there an age where you sort of start to focus in on one particular event? It probably wasn't until mid-teens that mm-hmm. I started to focus. And I still think that's important for most kids. Like, mm. athletics is the fundamental for a lot of sports, obviously, except water sports. Mm. Um, like, that's where you can learn to run and jump and throw, which is so big in components in other sports as well. Yeah. So I think doing it all at that early age is really good for mm. general development. So I did sort of everything. Um, and even in little athletics, I remember um, I only ever won one state medal mm. in little athletics. It was under 15s and I won it in triple jump. Wow. Yeah. Is triple jump good if you're a sprinter though because you've got the power behind you? It's long it's jump is probably a little bit more aligned with sprinting. Mm-hmm. Triple jump is a different event because it's got the different components of the, the hop, step, yeah. jump components. Yeah. So it's slightly different but the speed is still an athlete. Yeah. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. So what led you to wanting to do or focus in on hurdles? That came about because I was offered to go to a coaching camp in hurdles. Yeah. And so I went. The coach liked that I went back and did. I tried to apply everything that he told me to do. Mm. Um, and so after this camp, he offered to coach me. And again, I'm like, yeah, okay, hurdles are fun. Yeah. Why not? Mm. Um, which I think was the basis of my career. Why not? <laughs> um, and so then I started training with, with this coach. And from that point, he told me I could no longer triple jump because it's not legal. Um, right. There's a lot of stress on the joint. So he, he said no. Right. And so from there, I specialized. And it was sort of a very almost organic mm. thing. I just enjoyed it. So I went along. So you were... 16? I was 15. 15 at that yeah. time. And what was that coach's name? Steve Endine. Right. Um, and he, yeah, so it was a bit of an effort to get to training. Where was he coaching? He was coaching in Randwick. Right. So it was sort of an hour and a half trip to get there. Mm. And then I would train and an hour and a half trip home. And were you doing this after school? After school. Right. Wow. Yeah. And what did your parents think of that, like, training regime while you were actually at school as well, like trying to do your studies. You would have been Fine. in year 9 or 10, you know, 10, I guess, probably, no. 15, maybe. I yeah. can't actually remember which year it was. Um, my dad, well, both my parents were very supportive, mm. my dad more so. Mm-hmm. Um, he would pick me up from school, he would take me into the city, he would wait around while I trained and, mm. and come back, and I think he really, really loved it. And he ended up being... Um, getting so involved that he ended up the president of the athletic club for mm, quite a while. Yeah. Um, and so he supported a lot of other athletes as well. So mm. he, I wouldn't have got into it if it wasn't for my dad. Mm. And I've seen that in the journey. Yeah. Oh, we're starting to get emotional. <laughs> He's still here, so that's okay. <laughs> uh, we've seen that in the journey and he, he has been a major support yeah. and Probably one of the most influential people yes. in your athletic career, I would say. Um, but what kind of coach was Steve? Um, so he was a high-level um, hur- hurdles coach. Yeah. Um, from what I understand, he was one of the top-level mm. hurdle coaches in the country at the time. Um, so for me, it was sort of a, a person of that level 
saw something in me. So mm. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. And sort of that, I think, influenced that next step. Mm. In terms of his personality with you, coaching you, like mm. what kind of, I guess, what kind of lessons did he teach you and bring out in you as a competitor? He made me stronger mentally. Mm. Um, he made me aware of things like visualisation and and sort of that calming before before a competition so mm. he would he taught me to sort of get at the start of my race I would sit down and I would sort of really focus on my breathing and I would then start going through in my head watching the race that I wanted to happen mm. Um, mm. and I really took that on and, and that was a stable throughout my whole career mm. um, and then I, I grew in different ways and learned different visualizations over the years mm. but that's sort of where that started mm. Do you think as a competitor, because I know myself even just as a as an everyday runner, but who's competing in, you know, races, ultras, whatever it may be that I choose to do, that visualisation is one of the most influential tools, I think, to use because it sets you up for what's to come, um, I guess, and also not only visualising um, what you're about to do, but visualising the result that you want or visualising... Oh, that you can yeah. do what you're setting yourself out to do. Yeah. Um, if you're not visualising a positive result, you're probably not going to have one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I truly believe that, like, like, the stories that we tell ourselves are so powerful. Mm. Um, so, and visualisation, I think, is a part of that. So that you have to see yourself. It might not be crossing the line first, but it might be a certain time yeah. or... Or it might be achieving a certain goal within the race. Mm. Um, so for hurdles, that's that's a short, mm. very short distance. So for me, it was always crossing the line first. Yep. Um, and then, okay, sometimes it would be in, in the time that I wanted mm. or, or a technique that I was trying to master within the, the competition. Yeah, That's what I was trying to see. So I think if you're looking also for a longer distance um, visualisation, it needs to be there might be components within the race that you want to mm master or get better at or yeah. so you have to see yourself doing positive things yeah. otherwise there's no point yeah and so he taught you steve taught you that power of visualization um were there other things that he taught you as well that that set you up for success those in those early formative years as an athlete well he taught me the fundamentals of hurdling mm. um as he said to my dad after that that first camp he didn't take me on because i was any good mm. um which hurt, <laughs> which helps. <laughs> but he, he took me on because I took his words on on board, and I would go back and I would try and change mm. the the things that he was trying to get me to work mm. on. So, um, yeah. So he he was the basis of my hurting. So. Mm. It's interesting when you look back to like those people that were influential in those first formative years of mm. any sport yeah um what they taught you um I still even remember my first netball coach and <laughs> she just chain smoked like nothing like but she was so good at just mm. describing I was a shooter yeah and she was so good like I at one point like I mean I was like 12 I don't even know but I just wouldn't miss a goal like I would yeah. shoot it from it just her technique her ability mm. to teach you um, was so important. So and and her face has stuck with me. Yeah. All this time, I still know exactly what she looks like and yeah. um and how she made me love the sport. So. Yeah. So what kind of competitor were you back then? 
did you have any major goals at that time in your life in terms of your sport? Not particularly. Mm. Um, I just, I think I was more just, I wanted to do personal bests. Mm. So each time I went out, I wanted to just get that bit better or, or something like that. I, I wasn't sort of an athlete that had those lofty goals mm. of one day I'm going to do this. It's just, I took it one step at a time. Mm. Interesting you say that because with all the things that we know about you, and we'll discuss those later, um, about how sometimes you don't see the achievement as a worthy thing. Yeah. Do you think that maybe you didn't have those goals in your mind, such as the Olympics, Mm -hmm. for example, which would be the pinnacle of any person in athletics' career, I guess, that they all would strive for? Yeah. Do you think it's because you didn't believe that you could do that? Probably. Mm. Um, I've never had a lot of self-belief. Yeah. Um, So I think... It's a protection in a way that if I sort of just look at this next step, if Mm. I can just get that, um, then it's not as big a thing. So Mm. I'm not putting as much pressure on myself. Yeah. To fail, maybe. Yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah. However, you probably learn along the way anyway that you did have the belief deep somewhere deep in there. (laughs) Otherwise, maybe you wouldn't have actually got there, right? Maybe. So, or maybe it was that you you allowed people around you to help carry that belief with you. Like the people that supported you were in your corner, who Mm. told you you could do it. Maybe you listened to them more than you actually listened to your own internal voice. I could still do that. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) We all do. Don't worry, you're not the only one. Your coach was one of the major greatest influences in in your life at that Mm. time, I guess, and shaped your experience of that sport. Um, and then you went on to keep competing with him and then there was quite a major event that happened, um, around that time of, you know, late teens with your coach that changed your path for a moment, um, in sport. Do you want to just tell people what that was? Um, well, I was in year 12 at school. Mm -hmm. Um, the previous year I had sort of, I had gone away on an athletic trip and, seemed to be going pretty well and then halfway through my my year 12 my coach he took his own life Mm. Um, and I was devastated Mm. and I quit um, as did all my training partners we all Mm. we all stopped Um, and like my studies took a dive like that probably just Mm. that would have been my um, world juniors year too Mm. and I quit so everything kind of stopped and mm. it was a couple of months later that I just, I missed the sport. Mm. Um, some of my training partners didn't really come back, but I, I just missed it so much. And, mm. and so I came back and had to find a new coach and a new training squad and mm. yeah. And that would have been a really difficult time. Even like, you know, one, it's difficult enough that you're doing your 12, yeah. um, doing your HSC trying to maintain your consistency of training and sport and you know was there any ever ever any red flags that that your coach was struggling with his mental health apparently there were but I was a bit protected from it yeah because I was the younger I was younger at the time so Mm. I I wasn't aware of that Mm. until 
after. Mm. And obviously you looked up to him and you... Mm. And then that was just all taken away in an instant. Yeah. Um, so you probably felt like all those dreams and goals that you were going to work towards together mm. were taken away in an instant and not really knowing where, what to do, yeah. where to go. Um, so you came back because you missed it and you... And then you had to find another coach. What was that experience like trying to work with someone different, knowing that you had that relationship with your previous coach that was so strong? It was actually interesting. So I had some some good friends that were hurdlers at the time and they had been training with a different coach. And that coach had actually been coached by my previous coach. So it was actually probably a very similar Mm, training style. Mm. Um, And because that I already had friends within that group, I think the transition Mm. was a lot easier. Mm. And how long were you being coached by that coach? So he, uh, what was that coach's name? That was uh, David Nissen. Mm -hmm. And he led you to your next major achievement. Yes. Yes. So, which was the Commonwealth Games. The 1998 Commonwealth Games. So, do you want to talk about um, what was that experience leading up to that like for you, training with him and I guess what did you learn during that period? And like you said, you were kind of looking, I guess, towards these major, you know, running at the Commonwealth Games, which would be a major pinnacle for any athlete as well. Um, What made him think Deb like this is something you can do let's go towards that and 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 if he planted that seed what did you think about that well I don't think it was necessarily a seed planted it was just the seed like we competed that Mm. season um I was only 19 at the time so I don't think it was even on my radar Mm. um and I think that season my times just dropped quite well yeah so that that was the first year I actually won the Open Nationals, mm-hmm. um, but I was still under-20s at the time, so I actually also won the under-20s. Yeah. Um, and I was told that I was actually the first person in Australia in the women's hurdles to actually do the double in the same year, so wow. that was actually pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and then, I, yeah, I just sort of qualified within sort of... Uh, we did some... Like, the Australian athletics did some training camps and mm-hmm. stuff during the winter season, and... My times just sort of came down and... Wow. Yeah. So that would have been your first major big First major one. Um, At the same time, because I had won the Nationals, I also qualified for the World Cup. Mm -hmm. Um, So I represented Oceania um, in Johannesburg in South Africa. So I actually had to go across there first with a couple of athletes and then head straight into Kuala Lumpur on the way back. So... Was that your first overseas trip for athletics? Uh, I'd gone on a junior trip yep. um, a few years prior, mm-hmm. um, but that wasn't a major competition. That was mm-hmm. sort of more of a training and mm-hmm. um, trip. This was my first wow. yeah, major competition. And were you doing anything else at the time, like training for the Commonwealth Games, uh, World Cup? Was that your sole focus? Were you studying? Were you doing anything else? You would have finished high school or were you just... That was your sole focus was competing, training? No, well, I still had to work. Mm-hmm. Um, I There weren't... The jobs that I wasn't doing, uh, that I was doing, weren't of any particular note. It was just mm-hmm. work that I could get so yeah. I could still train. Yeah. Um, I had studied um, straight out of school. I had... Because I didn't sort of get the results from my HSE mm-hmm. that I was hoping for. Mm. I ended up going and studying um, 
health and fitness. Yeah. Um, started doing a little personal training. That kind of stopped just because it was conflicting too much with training. Mm. And then just ended up life was jobs and yeah 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 and anything you could kind of I guess you had to fit around the schedule around the training, training which yeah. would have been quite taxing I would imagine yeah training at that level it was yeah yeah so what did a typical training week look like for you back then when you were trying to juggle the work and the training so training um usually we're doing three track sessions in a week mm-hmm. um obviously depending on <clears throat> excuse me depending on the time of season changes the training that we do so sometimes it might be more sort of longer running um sort of speed endurance type type stuff still with some hurdles but the closer you get to competition sort of the the tighter it got the faster it got um and then there'd be gym sessions in there as well Mm. um a bit of gymnastics a little bit of flexibility so around that time was actually the first time I was ever able to do the splits Mm. can't do it now (laughs) (laughs) I think I've ever been able to do the splits well, you kind of have to split your legs in the hurdles, I guess. Like, yeah. <laughs> in the air. Not, not quite the splits. But, uh... I don't know how you get your legs into those positions, to be honest. <laughs> I don't know. It's amazing. So did you have any sponsors for yourself? Because these days, it's, I mean, it's very different these days to back then. A lot of sponsorship these days, I think, comes from social media, I guess, that sort of thing. Social media didn't even exist. No. Uh, I don't think phones, like we just had analog phones. Um, Did you have sponsorship of any kind? Not really. Um, There was a couple of times I had, oh, in the lead up to the Commonwealth Games, for a short period I had um, FILA. Mm -hmm. Um, But it wasn't, like I never had, um, actually no, at the same time I think I did also have Oakley. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I remember Oakley. I had Oakley for, for a while. All of it was still in the product, so I didn't have yeah. any, any financial sponsorship. So um, you just wore their stuff to run? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So from the later part of my career, I was always race, racing in, in glasses yeah. um, as part of my my deal. Um, and it got to a point where I actually couldn't race <laughs> without them because I was so used so to used racing to, with them. It, it would be difficult to see with the glass. Like, you would have to train your eyes to actually... Oh, race in the glasses. So there were different kinds of glasses. So mm. if it was um, really dark and overcast, I'd actually wear clear lens. Mm. Um, or if it was sort of, yeah, or, or a yellow lens to sort of make it brighter. Yeah. Or, so there were... Um, did you wear them in the Olympics? Yes. You did. Yes. I remember, yeah. Yeah, I was given wow. a nice pair of green and gold oh, glasses. Perfect. I still have <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. So let's just touch quickly on how you met your husband, Craig, because mm-hmm. my brother was also an athlete. He competed in pole vault. Yes. Um, he didn't make it to any major like Commonwealth Games or Olympics, but he was still pretty cool in my eyes. I mean, anyone that does pole vault is pretty cool in my eyes. Yeah. That's pretty interesting sport. He, but has, how did... he held the state record for about Yeah, years. I know. He's so... very good. And he's so short, but I don't know. He just... <laughs> He managed to just leap over the, yeah, (laughs) managed to just have this, and I remember like growing up, seeing him and all he poured into that sport, which was everything. And the drive that he had to just, just to get that extra centimeter, whatever it was, um, he just poured everything into it and to the detriment of his career, um, you know. And I guess his mental state sometimes, um, not being able to take other opportunities because that opportunity was obviously more important to him at the time. Um, and 
I guess that's something that you had in common. You were yeah. working towards your goals as athletes together. And was that something that kind of, well, I guess let's talk about how you met, but then was that something that helped you yeah. by both having that in your life? So we met, um, we used to train at the same venue. Mm. Um, so I think I knew of him for, for quite a while because he was a few years older than me at, through Little Athletics. So yep. I knew of him, but we mm. weren't friends. Um, and then come on you thought he was the hottie didn't you <laughs> just say <laughs> yeah so as as we got a bit older um we trained we both trained at sydney Olympic park yeah um so often at the same time different obviously different squads different sports but um yeah so we did a commercial together and we did a um a coaching clinic yep um together um and i think it just sort of started from there sparked the flame did. <laughs> <laughs> well it's nice i think it's nice because Sometimes people say opposites attract. And I mean, you're very opposite in personalities anyway in some ways, but then some ways the same. But I also mm. think it's good to have that common thing that you're both interested in that you enjoy together because you talk about it, you have yeah. that, that, I don't know, it's just something you can enjoy together and talk about something in common. So I think that's been a great basis of your relationship. Yeah, it's actually quite funny because I remember when I was younger, um, my dad used to say to me that when I found started dating someone, I should find someone in the sport um, and they should live close by. And I think there were other Perfect. stuff. Tick, tick. Anyway, and it was like, tick, tick, tick. And it wasn't until later on I thought, oh, my dad was right. <laughs> anyway. Um, always right. I think being in the same, the same sport, it definitely helped. Mm. And I look, and I understand it was probably so hard for Craig because I was reaching levels yeah. that he, he was also trying for and not quite hitting. Yeah. So, um, he, but he has been my biggest support. Yeah. Um, in all of that. That in was the gonna, ups and downs Yeah, and, that was going to yeah. be the, the question I was about to ask is, well, how did Craig, I've actually never asked Craig that question, but it's mm. an interesting one to note because I saw the effort that went in yeah. for him to try and get the qualifiers and, and to want to reach that level but not get there, but then to have your girlfriend at the time mm. um, getting it, getting to those, to get him to the Olympic Games um have you ever talked about what that mentally was like for him has he expressed to you disappointment or was it more like I mean he has and I know I saw it at the Olympics like how excited he mm. was to be by your side yeah. supporting you through that but you know have you ever talked about that how that affected him at all to be honest I don't know if we have mm. um and Craig if we have I'm very sorry <laughs> um He'll be listening. <laughs> he ended up getting to coaching, yeah. and, and yeah. Um, but not once did he ever make me feel mm. bad yeah. or that we weren't. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah, because he obviously believed in you too. You know. Yeah. He believed in you, yeah. and he wanted to support you in your goal. Yeah. Which is what yes, makes such yeah. a great marriage, right? Yeah. Is that I see? I mean, I do say, Craig, if you're listening. <laughs> That my brother is very selfless in mm. that way. Um, he will pour anything into you, mm -hmm. um, let you have what dreams you want to achieve. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. Amazing. I think he was the perfect partner yeah. <laughs> to choose. <laughs> Just saying. So let's talk about you leading into the Olympics. Mm -hmm. So what was the journey like from that time competing at Commonwealth Games to then... You know, trying to qualify through the Olympic Games. What was that 
what was the actual qualifi qualifying race like for you? What was that experience like? Well, the, okay, so the process between the Commonwealth Games and, and Olympics wasn't easy anyway. So mm. my coach for the Commonwealth Games had stopped coaching months before. Right. And so after I got home, I had to find a new coach. But also after I got home, I had to come home and get my foot into a cast. Right. So I had a stress fracture in my foot. Was that um, the first time? That was the second time right. that it happened. Mm -hmm. um, so I managed to just get through the Commonwealth Games, um, came home and went straight into a boot. Mm. So I had to get through that and come back and basically start again. So the next season was, so 1999. Not great. Wasn't great. <laughs> um, How did that affect you mentally? Knowing you had this goal looming. Mm. 1999 you've got like 2000 is coming <laughs> yeah. how did that affect you mentally knowing that you were on a bit of a time watch there like you know your foot's in a boot you know what you have to do to get to that level to complete to compete and qualify and compete mm. how did that affect you mentally to be honest i can't remember mm. um my career was just so up and like i was injured for most of my career I think mm. I had one season where I just, like, everything seemed to go well. Mm. Um, it would have been devastating. Mm. Um, I remember one time after coming off an injury, and I can't remember the specific time of it, um, but I remember being at the track one day, and Craig was with me, and no one else was there, and I was just trying to do the most basic, simple side drills over the hurdles and I couldn't get it mm. and I just sat in the middle of the track and cried mm. um, so I think it, there was a lot of frustration yeah. with it but I managed to sort of I started with an amazing coach who who I was with until the end of my career um, Fira Divaskina mm. and um, she she helped me and um, yeah we got we got back um, again not without its ups and downs I was injured in the lead up to the Olympic trials mm. um, I had Achilles tendinopathy um, and so a lot of my training sessions were deep water running in pools and and then specific hurdle stuff mm. um, and I got a qualifier yeah um, surprisingly well I think I was surprised and then came to the trials mm. and at the time there were two of us yeah. who had back then a B qualifier. The qualifying system is different now right. than what it was back then, but mm -hmm. back then it was an A and a B qualifier. Right. And if there were no A qualifiers, then one B qualifier could make it. Mm. And this we were told that this basically the person who was going to win the trials. Mm. The other other girl, Jackie, she had more wins under her belt and also faster times than I did. So on paper, I actually shouldn't have won. So that, obviously, standing on that start line, you had all that swimming through your head. Like, Jackie's got faster times, Jackie's got more wins, mm -hmm. Jackie's going to win. Did you put that into your mind or did you go, I could be better than Jackie, I can do this, I can get faster times? Like, how, what did you tell yourself on that start line? What did you visualize 
to tell yourself that you deserve to be the person that got to the Olympic Games? What did you tell yourself to be able to get to that finish line in that race? To be honest, none of that. So I was nervous for a week. So all of that had been in my head for that week. Mm. Um, but once I stood behind the blocks, none of that was there. Because mm. if I was focusing on the Olympics, I wasn't going to race mm. the race in front of me. Um, I had to get through this to then get to that. Yeah. So um, great. it was just another... By the time I stood behind the blocks, it was just another race. Mm. Um, and I the nerves were obviously still there because I did false start. Um which wasn't a common thing in my running, but that actually just even put more pressure on. Yeah. So I then had to go back behind the blocks and just clear it all Yeah. and just do the job I needed to do. And mm. um, so visualising, it was just visualising the race, visualising mm. me winning, not everything else that came beyond that. It was mm. just the next 13 point yeah. something seconds. So. Yeah, um, how many seconds did you need to? What was the time you needed to to do to qualify? I think at the time a B qualifier was thirteen point three two, right? Um, and A was thirteen point one, and so I ran trials and I ran a personal best, and I ran a thirteen point two four. And is that does that still stand as your personal best today? Not quite. So I ran. There was a race between the trials and the Olympics up in Queensland yeah. and I ran a 13.20 wow. and then I came back and I ran a 13.24 at the Games. Right. So a little sort of consistency there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So you got through. Got through. And how did that feel? <laughs> like a relief. <laughs> yeah. An absolute relief. So how did it actually feel to you to know that you were going to the Olympics that following year? And what did that mean for you at that moment? Because it was that year. Well, yeah, it was that year. Mm. So how, what did that mean? Like knowing that, you know, you said that things just kind of, I guess, in your career have rolled on one to mm. the other. But then you're suddenly finding yourself <laughs> going to be competing at the Olympic Games. Did that feel like enormous pressure to you? No. No. For me, the pressure was the trials. Mm. So I just wanted to go to the Olympics and enjoy it. Mm. Looking back, I probably couldn't have changed anything. Mm. Um, but no, no. In saying that, knowing that that was going to be the only Olympics I was at, I'm glad I took the time to mm. enjoy it. Yeah. Actually, that's interesting because um, when I was speaking to Lisa Waitman on the podcast mm. too, she said similar things about... Um, I think a lot of people think like, you know, to being such a high level athlete, like it's so serious and it is serious. Mm. There's times definitely that you need to be serious, but it's all about enjoying that experience. You work so hard when you're finally there, you just want to take every part of that experience away. Um, so the hardest parts are getting to that point. So it's like, you know, when you're at a race, you, you're finally there, you've done all the training and now you just want to enjoy every minute of that experience. So let's talk about that first night walking into the stadium of the 2000 Sydney Olympic Games on home soil opening night. What were you feeling in that moment wearing the Australian team's uniform for the first time at the Olympics? It was very surreal. Walking through... The tunnel to get to the stadium was unbelievable. Like it was mm. so deafening. Mm. Um, like the tunnel was just lined with volunteers, and um, 
and everyone was so like high and happy and excited and we were just about to sort of walk out into front of this home crowd of 120,000 mm. people and um, yeah I just I remember it being deafening mm. like you couldn't hear the person screaming next to you because <laughs> yeah. it was so loud um, and yeah just sort of walking around the stadium and, and back then it was sort of it wasn't with like phones taking mm. photos it was it was cameras so yeah, it was the flashing, flashing of, of of the entire stadium mm. and, and I knew my mum was up there somewhere yep <laughs> <laughs> you're allowed to cry oh. <laughs> um was your dad there too was mum the only no. one that could get the ticket so the reason mum got a ticket was there was um uh, a journalist i think it was approached mum and dad and said that they wanted to sort of get the experience of of being there with a parent oh that's so beautiful <laughs> I know this is so emotional <laughs> I remember the emotions oh. of watching it from home, looking for you in the crowd. No one saw me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought that I might have. It was, like, it was a massive Australian team. So. Yeah. Wow, I, don't, I didn't realise this would actually Well, it is, it's a very wow. big experience that you had. It's a major life. That's right. But, like, this is, like, the pinnacle of yeah. any athlete, right, and what they would love to do. And you got there and you mm. got to soak up, as we're saying, this whole experience, yeah. going to the athlete village. Yeah. Walking into the stadium, being surrounded by all the other athletes, mm. being so excited, and all the other athletes from all around the world would have yeah. been the most overwhelming, yeah, surreal experience to think, oh my goodness, yeah. I'm at the Olympics. Mm. It, I think I tried not, it didn't overwhelm me too much because I don't think I allowed it to, mm. to fully, um, to to actually think about everything that it meant like mm. I, I probably would have crumbled yeah. um knowing that i was going to go out and race in front of because i was in a morning session so mm. i think it was ninety thousand people wow. so knowing that i was the only australian in the 100 meter hurdles <laughs> yeah. in front of ninety thousand people could potentially sort of unravel you yeah <laughs> yeah very much so i mean i remember seeing you i mean Let's talk about that now because that day I was so lucky that we managed to get tickets to that event mm. um, way, 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 way up in the back of the stand <laughs> somewhere. Although um, I just thought I was the bee's knees, like I had a celebrity in my corner that I was going to be watching that I knew who was racing at the Olympic Games. I mean, I couldn't think of anything better um, than being there to see you cross that finish line we were so excited and I was watching the screen because I couldn't see you very much she was so far away <laughs> I've still got photos of the screen I took yep. photos with my camera um and we were just so excited for that moment so our feelings were so different to yours I'm mm -hmm. sure yeah um obviously inside I'm sure you were excited but as you said trying to just remain calm and keep it all in so you weren't going to bottle over. What was it like to be standing on that start line at Sydney 2000 Olympic Games? What did you tell yourself in that moment? What was it actually, what did it actually feel like to you to be standing there for the gun to go off? Just like any other race. Mm. Um, so we had to walk in from the back side of the stadium um, and then walk around around sort of 200 meters to where the start line was mm. and um that was interesting like 
it was mm-hmm. funny because my name on the board was Deborah. And I don't, often, <laughs> no. I don't often go by Deborah. And so no. I had all these people cheering me on saying, go Deborah. Like, <laughs> That's not me. That's not me. <laughs> so, and then occasionally someone would call out, go Debbie or go Deb. And yeah. I'd go, oh, like, I, I, I might know that person. <laughs> but as soon as I got behind the start line, mm. it all went away. You just like yeah. get into a bubble. Yeah. Mm. So I, I didn't hear people calling me. I didn't hear the cheering. I didn't hear any of it. And it was just mm. another race. So when you're doing that, I, I was watching that um, documentary the other night on Kathy Freeman. Mm-hmm. She yeah. said a very similar thing that she kind of just, everything goes away. You just focusing on getting to that finish line. With a hurdles event, mm-hmm. it's not just running to the finish line. You've got obstacles in your way. How many hurdles? Are ten. Ten. So every hurdle 10 times you have to lift those legs and get them over is there stuff that you're telling yourself um like in those 13 point something seconds <laughs> which is very quick actually that you have to tell yourself to um mentally to get over those hurdles or is it just does it just come like naturally like how do you manage that event it's not just sprint to the finish line it's not but um the reason this is why we train mm. you train and you you do them over and over and mm. over again so that by the time you get to these competitions it's second nature yeah if you're counts. if you're thinking in these competitions then you're not going to run so well mm. um, you mm. have to it has to be second nature so um and like and for me it's interesting so i've, I've realized recently that I actually found the hurdles easier to run than the flat hundred, mm. um, and the reason for that, I believe, is that yes, there are ten barriers in the way, but you only look at the next one. Mm. So, aside from the start, each hurdle is eight and a half meters apart, mm. so you're only ever focusing eight and a half meters away. So rather than it being a hundred meters away or a five mm. k race or a marathon, like yeah. I was only ever looking eight and a half meters. Yeah. And by the time you're at the finish line, it's done. Because mm. so. it's so fast. I mean, just watching that event. It's mm. just so... The way you guys get over those, I don't... It's amazing. But it does actually look like it is just well rehearsed. It you is. know, yeah. And it is. That's yeah. right. It is. So what did you feel about that particular race at the time? You got to the finish line. And how did you process that experience? To be head? honest, I was disappointed. Mm-hmm. Um, I... So there were, I was the first heat of five, mm-hmm. and to progress to the next round, the semifinals, you had to place top four, mm-hmm. um, and then it was sort of based on, on times, and I placed fifth, mm-hmm. and I missed out on times. Um, so for me, I was, I was disappointed. Mm-hmm. Um, it sort of was no longer, yes, it's the Olympics, but I didn't make that next, mm-hmm. that next round. Mm-hmm. Which would have been really hard at the time. Because yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you kind of get there, you have this high, you experience that, and then it's done. Yeah. And I had to wait each race mm. and each race. Um, and then, yeah, I was no longer in. Yeah. Mm. So what happened after that? Like, did you stay around and, I mean, you, you're in the village, so I guess you yeah. stay around. for the, How long do you yeah. stay in the village for? Till the end? Till the end. Mm. Um, that day, I um, so that was a morning session, and I remember that day, um, I sort of went out into the public area, and I 
met you guys and, yeah. and we sort of actually had a little bit of a, a birthday celebration because yeah. it was my birthday. Yes, how lucky um, were you yeah. <laughs> on so your birthday? Raced on my 22nd birthday. Yeah. Um, but, um, and then I sort of, um, yeah, just sort of experienced. I went and watched some events and, mm. yeah, just sort of soaked it up, I guess. Yeah. Mm. Did you find that the distraction of watching those other events and I guess seeing some of your friends competing as well mm. um, helped you process what just happened? <laughs> yeah, look, with every team there are going to be athletes that do really, really well yeah. and athletes that don't. Yeah. So um, it's just that's part of the dynamic. Yeah. Um, and the ones that do really well can help lift up um, sort of enti- an entire team. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah. Well, it's amazing that you got that experience and it's something that no one can take away from you. No. Uh, you stood on that start line, you gave it your best yep. on the day yeah. and you, you can't have anyone take that from you. No. <laughs> it's, it's, you've got, you know, the, those memories and um, you've got your Olympic rings on yeah. your ring. <laughs> so to remind you, Olympian, that's right. Olympian. You've got those letters after your name now that uh, no one can take away from you, which is amazing. So let's just quickly touch now into the next part of your journey. So you then kept competing for a little while, I imagine, and then we hit a time in your life when you retired from sports. So let's just talk about what happened after those Olympic Games and what led you to that retirement. So 2001... um I was still kind of in that that idea that Sydney was just the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had an accident in training and I ruptured my ACL, um, which required surgery and mm-hmm. months and months and months of rehab. Um, Did so, you fall over a hurdle? Or? Um, I was actually doing sort of bounding over hurdles mm-hmm. and I just landed wrong mm-hmm. one way. And it's just, yeah. So I came back from that. Not well, um, but did get back to running. And then early 2004, I partially tore my Achilles. Mm. And I knew that after years and years of injury, I just, I didn't have it anymore to keep going. Mm. And what was that like for you to make that decision to say, this is the time I'm going to retire? It was horrible. Um, Discussing it with Fira was tears and a lot of feeling of loss um mm. didn't know where to go mm. um yeah and apart from your coach at the time who obviously was very supportive and mm. a great coach from what you've told me about her um was there any other support to help you as an athlete transition out of sport no not back then it was sort of when I announced that I was well, when I told that I was retiring it was sort of a okay well let us know if you change your mind Mm. Um, and then everything just stopped. Mm. Life as you knew it just everything changed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what did you do with yourself and your days, knowing that like you know you were working and then you were training and then I guess you had a lot of rehabbing. Um, so every minute of your day was probably taken up with something to do with sport, and then all of a sudden there was no sport. Mm-hmm. How did you manage that time of your life? You didn't have children at that stage? No, I didn't have children at that stage. Um, I focused more on study. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew 
at the time I was a receptionist yeah. and that's not what I wanted to do. Mm. Um, so then I, I focused on where I wanted to go and I decided that that was going to be massage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I spent sort of the next couple of years studying, yeah. studying massage in the hope to get back into to athletics. Because mm. um, what drew you to massage? What did you like about it? When I was younger, I wanted to be physio. Mm. Um, and obviously with everything that happened through year 12, that was yeah. never going to happen. Mm. Um, and through working reception, um, I was in a sports medicine clinic. Mm. And so I was talking with massage therapists and so it sort of went from there. Mm. Yeah. I guess you also had that, that you know, love about the body and what it can do and I guess as an athlete yourself you'd probably experience many massages of yeah. you know people working on you so maybe it was something that you like would enjoy yeah. um, and working with athletes as you say like it's funny we talk about this a lot you and I how just even though your trajectory had changed you were no longer an athlete you were still in athletics or you still were working towards being attached somehow in athletics because that was part of your identity and you didn't want to let it go. (laughs) Probably not such a good thing. (laughs) So we'll talk about that. But um, so at that time you got married. Obviously Mm -hmm. you were married. You married Craig. Um, You were training up to be a massage therapist. You completed that training and you became a massage therapist. Very good one, mind you. (laughs) Um. And then, and you, and you were working at Sydney Sports Medicine Centre. Yeah. Um, what actually kept you motivated in other aspects of your life? Like, so you didn't have, like with sport, you have, there's a goal, you worked hard and you reached the goal or you keep trying to reach the goal. What kept you made, motivated not having that sports focus at that time? I think I just shifted the focus. Mm. So I think it it moved more towards the massage. Yeah. Um, and there was still a goal within the massage, and yeah. that was to get back on Australian teams. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I think it's just a matter of shifting goals, mm. really. Yeah. So it's really good that you followed that dream. You still did manage to keep within athletics, yeah. um, which is great and not great sometimes. Yeah. But um, so you were lucky enough to be working at the – clinic that you were in and you were able to get this position working with the Australian teams. So you want to talk about how, like as yourself as a contractor to Athletics Australia, going overseas with teams for world championships. I think you went with the World Juniors as well, was it? Yeah. Commonwealth Games, Olympic Games. Like how did that happen for you? So it started, um, I guess, with a conversation in the kitchen at work. So the physio... um, one of the head physios at work, he's also the head physio for Athletics Australia. He was my physio when I was an athlete. And um, it came up, um, he asked me if I wanted to, or if I'd be interested in going as a massage therapist to the World Junior Team in 2012. Mm-hmm. And at the time, my kids were four. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, mm, I... Yeah. I'm and twins, twins, mind you, let's just um, say that. So... It's, I said, give me a day and I'll, I'll get back to you. And I went home and I spoke to Craig and, and my parents and your parents and and figured out if I could do this because this was going to be a month-long trip mm. um, in Europe. And it all worked out. And mm. 
so I went back and said yes. Yeah. And started from there. So how many trips have you been on now since you started? Twelve. Wow. Twelve. I didn't realize days. it's been that many. Yeah, because I've done um, a few smaller teams as well. So I've done a couple of um, world relay championships. Mm-hmm. I've done world race walking championships. Mm-hmm. A world cross country. Yeah. Um, as well as the majors like at an Olympics, Commonwealth Games, World Champs. Mm. So. So what kind of countries has that taken you to? Interesting one. <laughs> I bet. Um, it's I love traveling. Like I love traveling with it because it takes me to places I probably would never yeah. go normally. So mm. um, it's I, opened up a whole new world for you in well, a way. It has. Yeah, yeah. Um, so a lot of it's in Europe, mm-hmm. um, and I, I do love traveling around Europe. I've also been to the Bahamas. Um, nice. I've been mm. to. Um, so eight through Asia, so Japan, China, and um, yeah, awesome, lots of fun. Now everyone's probably listening, thinking, "How lucky are you like traveling with the Australian team to all these amazing locations?" However, it's a very different experience to what people probably think. So you know, most of the time, out of these month-long stints, you're in a room mm-hmm. with yep. maybe a window. Might be a view, might not be. Nope. You don't really get much time to go sightseeing. No. Nope. Um, so, you know, you get these experiences, and I guess a lot of the time you were lucky enough to have a few days extra, mm. like, to be able to see some things, which is fantastic. I mean, why wouldn't you if you're going to be all the way over there? Yeah. But what have you um, learned about yourself from those experiences working alongside other athletes as a previous athlete yourself? Mm-hmm. What are some of the amazing athletes that you work with that you might want to just talk about? Um, and also like, you know, do you ever think, do you ever sort of have these feelings of wishing that you were on the other side? Uh, I've worked really hard at putting a line, um, knowing that I'm no longer the Mm. athlete. Like it, particularly when I first started, it probably would have been easier to sort of try and hang out with the athletes more and, and mm. sort of do that kind of stuff. But I've actually taken a, a really sort of strong line in not getting too close mm. um, and really making sure that I'm I'm now staff. I'm not yeah. I'm not that athlete anymore. Um, but it's a bit easier now because I'm, I'm a little bit older and yeah. I've done a few more tournaments and stuff. But um, it was – I found it hard – always when the hurdles came around mm. so the warm-up and the racing of hurdles and and so if i was at the warm-up track when all that was on and, and the girls were racing then i would you'd often find me just on my own at the other side of the oh, track yeah <laughs> not in a bad not in a bad um headspace but in a just a um yeah i don't know it's yeah. it's probably like a bit of like you said before a bit of self-preservation it's kind of just protecting Obviously, there is those feelings still deep within you that wish that you could have kept going. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't of any anything you did. You, know, you had an injury that stopped you. Um, had it been different, had that injury not occurred, maybe you would be still doing what you were doing. I could have seen myself still at the London Olympics. Mm. Um, but after that, I'll, I probably would retire naturally anyway. Yeah. So it's that's that's a bit easier, yeah. but um, I think it's certainly helped. Like having had the experience as an athlete, like I've, I've particularly been able to connect with a lot of the like the female hurdlers, yeah, because um, I know what they're going through mm. um, to a point. Mm. Um, 
there any highlights of people that you've worked on in oh, these teams? Like, all the athletes are really good. <laughs> You're allowed to say. <laughs> any crushes? Any, like, this no. this athlete, I can't believe I'm massaging their legs. <laughs> like, not so much. No? Not so much. And I think it's because I've sort of come from them. Yeah. Like, these are, they're just athletes. Yeah, they're me. people. Right? And it doesn't matter. Like, yes, um, so Sally Pearson and, yeah. and I treat, like, um, quite many, like, high jumpers, Brandon Stark, Eleanor Passon, and... For me, they're people. Yeah. Because they are. They are. They are. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I just, like, I do like that I can help them yeah. in their journey in some way, but no, I haven't particularly been starstruck. <laughs> um, do you find that being, you know, coming full circle into this new role from athlete to practitioner, mm. <laughs> um, do, do those athletes, like you probably would have when you were an athlete, you're in a position where you're on the massage table most of the time, you, you know, either for warming up or, or, or recovery. Do you find that you're in a position where these athletes trust you to tell you things that maybe you would have told your massage therapist or physio or whatever? How those, do their feelings just come out on the massage table? Like it could be disappointment. It could be excitement. Um, do you feel like you're in this privileged position as yeah, their therapist? Yeah. Um. But it doesn't always happen. It's sort of you need to be able to read athletes. So mm. sometimes, yeah, sometimes they'll they'll talk, and and you need to give them the um, the ability to do that. Sometimes they just want to debrief, or yeah. sometimes they don't want to talk at all. Yeah. So sometimes it's not even on the massage table. Sometimes it's just being being there, particularly at the at the warm up track after they've come back from an event, and they just need a hug. Yeah. So it's it's sort of being able to read and give them what they need in that yeah. in that space. Yeah. Well, it's a very privileged position, I think, that you're in. It's great that you have been able to stay in athletics um, in a different form, mm-hmm. which I think, even though sometimes it can be hard because you've been a place where you wish sometimes that you could have kept going, but I guess it's given you that joy. It's given you those amazing opportunities um, to travel um, and see the world um, and and meet lots of people who were doing something like you were, striving for their personal best, striving for their goals. Um, so, yeah, keep it up. Hopefully the world will reopen soon. You can get back to doing what you love. And, you know, you continue to work anyway as a massage therapist. So um, in, in the seasons when those competitions aren't on. So, but let's talk about you transitioning from athlete <laughs> to retirement to then motherhood. So you found out that you were pregnant yep. in 2007 and you were pregnant with twins. Yes. How did that go when you found that out, telling Craig that you were pregnant with twins? <laughs> Seeing we have twins in the family because I'm a twin. My brother's not, but my sister and I are. Um, well, Craig was with me at yeah. the when we found out twins and I don't think I believed her. <laughs> I wouldn't either. I'd be like, and, can you just re-scan, please? I just, I laughed. I laughed. And it's funny, she said to me, people either laugh or they cry. Uh, yeah. And I was just laughing, what? No. Were you thinking, oh, I know how to work out this challenge. I mean, I've been working over nope. challenges my whole life. We nope. were like, I'm terrified. I was terrified. <laughs> it was not what I was expecting. Oh, my goodness, no. That is, no. I couldn't believe it either when you told me <laughs> that you were having twins. But, yeah. I mean, for the sake of the length of the podcast, we won't go into all the 
the experience of having twins, but um, I do remember visiting you at the hospital, <laughs> these two little babies, thinking, oh, my goodness, like, it's hard enough with one. How on earth are they going to do two? And I remember coming to your house when the kids were little and it's just everything's double. Everything's double. Yeah. What were those early years like for you? Were they just a blur? In a way. Mm. Um, but, yeah, they were hard. Yeah. And often people ask me how, how I managed to do mm. the twins. But I didn't have – I didn't know what one – like true so um for me that was just what it was and i just had to deal with it Mm. um so in some ways they were easier than having multiple kids at different ages Mm. um and other ways it was harder Mm. and as they grew like you know you got a little bit older to um you know there was some challenging times (laughs) Um, when the kids, you know, struggled with sensory issues and, you know, Jackson's being diagnosed on the autism spectrum, um, along with lots of children in our family. Um, but that was a challenging time for you as well as a parent, I would imagine, um, navigating that, um, as well, knowing what that meant, how to deal with those emotions, um, and what that meant for Jackson's future, um, who's just thriving like an yep. amazing boy. Um, but also, you know, going from, I guess, having, you know, your whole focus of your life on athletics to shifting straight, like, you know, pretty much into motherhood being thrown right in, right into this chaos, I guess, of what life you know, probably didn't expect was going to look like having two children at once. Mentally, that was a challenging time for you as well. And that's when you started to experience um, depression. How did you actually uh, work out that that was, that what you were experiencing was depression? Um, I don't know how long it had gone on for. I think it it sort of, it starts slowly. Um, but I remember there was a day where I, I was at home with the kids. They were about 18 months old and I was just breaking down in tears. Mm. Um, and it, I remember I called my parents and said, can you just come and watch the kids? I need to go and see someone. Mm. Mm. Do you think that the depression started before you had the kids or do you think that this was something that was always lingering? Um, I ended up seeing a psychologist and I think it was with her we sort of, we realised that it wasn't, it wasn't quite postnatal. Mm. My kids were a little bit too older um, Mm. than I guess what normally would fall into the postnatal depression. So she seemed to think it was sort of the combination of maybe a little bit of that, but also the unresolved um, issues of of my sport Mm. as well. So dealing with the fact that it came to an abrupt end. Yeah. 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 And once I had the kids, it particularly because I had twins, it stopped. It just became really hard to even get out of the house. Like mm. My pram didn't even fit through the no, front No, I door. remember. <laughs> so I, I remember just, you were housebound. Like you literally, yeah. I came over a lot back then and because just, you were only able to be at home. Yeah. 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 It was really difficult. So I think there was a lot of different influencing factors that led Mm. to led to that Mm. and a lot of the time too you know 
a lot of people that have twins might have a lot of support around them. Not that we don't have a supportive family, we do, but my parents had moved away. Your parents were working. Um, so you were it. And Craig was working. Yep. So you had two little babies who cried a lot. Yep. Like I remember, cried a lot um, at home in four walls and probably feeling that feeling of helplessness and going from this position in your previous life of being able to achieve and, and, and have goals and set them for yourself and all of a sudden it wasn't about you anymore. Yeah. It was about keeping these little babies alive. Um, it was also from being out, like with training and athletics, I was I was always out and I was uh, yeah. I was seeing people and traveling and, and doing all that, and then to be sort of just so insular and at home, and I wasn't seeing anyone, mm. and um, I wasn't leaving the house. It was yeah. Did you feel like um, ashamed for having those feelings of like? Did you feel like embarrassed or? That you should, as an athlete, um, be able to keep it together and deal with these babies. Like, I should be able to do this. Like, I'm a, I'm a good parent. I've been able to run at the Olympic Games because for me, looking in, I had no idea that you were dealing with this. Is there Was there some reason why you kept that so quiet? It wasn't until quite late that we knew that you were yeah. dealing with that depression. I don't think... I don't think it was a deliberate thing. Mm. Um, it was more, um, it was more frustration mm. because I didn't understand why I was feeling those things. Yeah. Um, so Craig, I know Craig would come home from work, or he'd he'd say something and ask me what was wrong, and I'd be like, like I'd be in tears, and he'd mm. he'd be upset, mm. and he'd ask me what's wrong, and I said like, I don't know, mm. and that I think that was the hardest part. Mm. So working through with that psychologist, mm-hmm. um, all the things that you obviously had to delve right back into the past and those unresolved feelings, um, what did they do to help you um, move through this time when you were dealing with this depression? And, and you keep dealing with, mm-hmm. you know, it comes up and down like a roller coaster um, throughout your life, but did they give you any tools um, to help you understand what you're experiencing? Probably not so much. It was more about um, I lost me. Mm. Um, so I stopped doing anything for me. And if anyone asked me what I enjoyed doing, I couldn't answer it. Um, and I withdrew considerably from everyone. So so mm. as you said, I, people didn't know, but I just withdrew from everyone. Um, and... So it was sort of more a finding out about things that I enjoyed. Mm. So, um, What yeah. were some of those things that you found that you enjoyed? Well, I started reading. I yeah. used to love reading as a kid. Um, and I would read, as an athlete, I read a lot of biographies and autobiographies of, mm. of athletes. Mm. And then sort of, then after I stopped running, it turned into sort of heavier stuff like Mao and Mandela and, and Gandhi and really <laughs> yeah. heavy, heavy yeah. stuff. And then I was pregnant and I just couldn't consume it. Like I just couldn't go that heavy anymore. Mm. Um, and that's when I stopped reading. And so when I started reading again, um, I deliberately moved into sort of that science fiction fantasy world as escapism. Mm. So, 
And then through that reading of that sort of science fiction escapism, you started writing. I did. Yeah. Again, there's another outlet. So yeah. um, I really enjoyed sort of creating worlds and, and characters and and all of that. So yeah, I sort of yeah written a few few books. Few books that are all still in their first draft. <laughs> that we should try and see if we can get published. <laughs> Just saying, if there's any publishers out there. But you know that's good that you you recognised. Um, in that time that there was something still left of yourself, mm. that there was something that you could do for yourself that didn't involve children, that didn't involve your husband, mm. that was something that you could do to enjoy yourself and what you uh, love doing mm. and and you do, you love reading and you love writing. Mm. Uh, is there anything else that you discovered about yourself during that time? I actually got into exercise, mm-hmm. though I was on antidepressants um, yep. at the time and I really hated, I didn't like taking them. Mm. Why didn't um, you like taking them? Um, was it the stigma around taking? No, 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 not at all. It was, I just, I didn't sort of get on a consistent, mm. obviously it was either the type or the dosage or something, but, but I was always up and down yeah. um, on it. And so I ended up getting into exercise again, sort of seeing a personal trainer and, mm-hmm. and managed to come off them and I haven't been back on them since. So oh, great. Um, so exercise definitely, definitely helped with that. Did you feel like, was the exercise, um, was there a time when you kind of thought, oh, I don't want to cross the line to be like where it gets too serious? Or was it or was exercise for you just an outlet? Like, did you ever worry about that feeling where it got a little bit obsessive almost? No, no. no it was sort of, it wasn't running. Mm. Um, it was just personal training sessions yeah. in the gym. Yeah. Um, I do remember that I was still somewhat competitive. Mm, yeah. um, there was a it's not going to leave you, Deb. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's probably Your not. Yeah, I think my detriment. Yeah. Um, and yeah, no, it was. I, mm. I only saw that as a positive. Yeah, a positive and that thing. helped you with your mental health. I'd imagine yeah. immensely doing exercise. Do you still yeah. do the personal training now? No, no. no. I it was a bit full on. Yeah, I was sort of doing two hours. A week with a personal trainer. Yeah, you can't afford it. I know. I know. It's a bit expensive. But yeah. So one of the I put some questions out to some of the girls when I was going to be interviewing you, um, and some of the questions were really good around uh, transitioning through life as an elite athlete or a high performance athlete. We'll say um, to motherhood. And one of the questions was, did you miss having your body or do you miss having your body at an elite level of fitness given the effort required to get there? Do you miss that? Yes. Or have you accepted now? I miss the idea of it. Yeah. Like I, um, obviously I'm now sort of 20 years past where I was and yeah, I miss having... But who doesn't miss their body from 20 years ago? Oh, exactly. Everything is going south. (laughs) (laughs) But I know the effort that it put in. So I don't necessarily, like, so I need to sort of, yeah, I've got to come to terms with that. Yeah. um, Which is, I think, an ongoing thing. Yeah. Um, But But it's a different level now of effort. Like before you were training to compete at the highest level of sport. Yes. Where now you're just training for life. (laughs) (laughs) But I think I need to remember that my body can't do what it did. Yeah. We all need to remember that. <laughs> and you bore two babies at once, which does a lot to your body. I imagine it does a lot to your body. How did that feel going from having a body of an Olympic athlete 
and probably maintaining that. Let's say you did. I used to look at you like you come to family function. I'm like, man, how does she keep that body? Um, to having two babies <laughs> that just like stretched everything. Mm. Um, probably ruins your pelvic floor. Uh, if you tried to sprint now, you probably wouldn't have a good outcome. Um, you know, how did that feel mentally to you to now have this new body, especially initially? Well, even through my pregnancy, it was tough because yeah. my kids were born three ki- basically three kilos each. <laughs> yes. So I was Man, huge. huge. <laughs> um, thing I remember. And it's just... Yeah, it's just never been the same since. <laughs> so I think I'm constantly trying to, um, constantly thinking I can get back there, but I don't think that's really. Do you tell yourself good things about your body and no. what it's done? No. No, so you just still have that negative yes. mindset against your body. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so you need to get to a place where you say, well done, body. For birthing, well, well done body for getting myself to Olympic Games and then for birthing two beautiful babies. I know, but my kids are now 12. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I know, but we said it never goes back to where it was. But that's okay. I think it comes with time though. Like your kid's 12. Like my child now is, my youngest is 19 and it's taken me 19 years to actually start to accept that my body is a vehicle um, that is that is... It doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm sort of willing myself to say this, but it actually doesn't matter what it looks like so much than what it's done. Um, that it is going to change. I'm getting older. Mm. It's not like when I was 20, <laughs> unfortunately, yeah. anymore. I can be, but I what I what I do to my body, um, you know, helps me express my body. So if I put good things into it, if I look after it. If I treat it with respect, yes, um, that's the best thing I can do for my body and it's going to bring me joy when I do that. So if I don't respect my body and I do bad things too and I, I eat really bad food all the time and I don't exercise, then I'm probably not going to be happy with my body. Yes. So I, you know, I'm trying to teach myself that you know, be good to your body, respect it and love it for what it's done. It's taken me on many different adventures. It's birthed three beautiful babies that have brought joy into my life and well done good body yeah very good (laughs) (laughs) it's a process it's a process i know you'll get there one day it's all right okay all right so the next question that somebody asked which i (laughs) which we we laugh about because debbie won't come running with me um but do you enjoy running now for fun without the competition element the answer is debbie does not run i don't run (laughs) If I attempt to run, I break. Um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but if you were wanting to run, yes, would you be able to enjoy it without the competition element, do you think? I think I could because it's different. Because mm. I never competed high at high levels at sort of longer running. Yeah. Um, there's not that competitive edge on that. So yeah. I think the fact that it's it would be very different. Yeah. Be okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Someone asked, is it hard not to have expectations for your kids about their abilities in certain areas? Given, well, I don't think your parents had an expectation for you to, you know, reach a certain level. So, but, you know, in terms of what you reached, uh, you know, in the pinnacle of your career, do you have those expectations for your kids or are they different? Like, how's your parenting style in terms of that sort of stuff? To be honest, I think I just surprised my parents <laughs> because I was so clumsy as a kid. Yeah. Um, I don't think they ever expected me to do what I did. 
but in regards to our kids, we're quite hands off, mm. particularly in regards to sport. Yeah, because of where we got to, we don't want them to feel the pressure of having to mm. do what we did. Mm. We want them to sort of, we want them to do sport or, or anything because they enjoy it, mm. um, and they get something out of it. Yeah, not because they feel they need to. So. Mm. Um, and my son does lawn bowls right now. I know. So, it's so cute. And he's, and he's enjoying it. It's so, great. Um, and they do athletics, don't they? They so do little just, athletics. They've just started back at little athletics. Yep. Um, but that is just purely, like, yeah, they, yeah. they need to enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. So that parenting style, it was similar to, I guess, how your parents raised you. Yeah, um, you know, it's just that. You know, you surprised your parents, and maybe you know your kids will surprise you. They you know, might. Um, your Jackson may become the world champion uh, lawn bowler. The Commonwealth Games. <laughs> I know, but no pressure. No pressure, Jackson. Yeah. Okay. Looking back now at the experiences that you've had that led you to the culmination at the Olympic Games. Um, and actually, in in light of what's happened after that, even retiring, getting married, um, chasing your career, and now having your family, what does that time mean to you now? Generally, I look back and think it was a good, it was a good time. I I really enjoyed the experiences that I was able to get because I know that not everyone got them. Mm. Um, like as a as a teenager, I was able to travel the world. Um, I met some amazing people, and some of my best friends are still from sport. Mm. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to change any of that. Mm. Um, but I think taking away from that is a learning. Yeah. Um, learning about I guess I probably learned a lot about myself mm. at the time, but I also got to learn about the world. Um, I got to learn about like healthy competition and pushing yourself and and all of that um and i yeah Mm. friendships during that process are really important Mm. um because once the competition's gone then that's what's left yeah that's right and you still have those friendships like yeah yeah i see you with those guys still to to today and they've been a big influence in your life absolutely yeah and that's what, you know, when we talked about what was enjoyable to you about athletics um, and that what you want to instill in your own kids in their sport is that even though you have that competition side, which has got, not everybody has that, but you really go because you want to hang out with your friends and yeah. you want to spend time with them and, yeah. and, and you learn from them. Like you're still yeah. doing, the, doing the hard work, yeah. but it doesn't have to be all, um, like you need to enjoy the process. Yeah, that's right. If, if there was something that, you know, you would tell your kids in terms of aiming for their goals, would that be one of the major things is just enjoying that process along yeah. the way? Yeah. Like, mm. you need to work hard. Mm. Um, I don't believe anything is or necessarily should be given mm. to you. Um, you need to earn what it is you want. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean it needs to be all doom and gloom like and, and mm. very serious like you you mm. need to be able to enjoy it otherwise the hard work is just hard work mm, absolutely so if there was one thing you would want your kids to see about you 
and tell you about what they have learned from you, what do you think that would be? I'd like to think that it's that you can get up after being knocked down. Mm. Injuries are um, the knocking down, like that you can get back up mm. if someone doesn't, like if someone gives you some bad, like they criticise you or something like that, you can get it back up. Mm. Um, so I think there's a quote I like that was um, the... The successful people are the ones that stand up 13 times after being knocked down 12. Mm. Mm. And you did that. <laughs> you might not think you did, but actually <laughs> when you look back, all the things we've discussed, yeah. you, knocked, you got knocked down that first time when mm. your coach you know, took his life. You got back up. Yeah. You got knocked down when you got injured and you ended up in a boot before yeah. the Olympic Games and then you got back up. And then you got knocked down when you had to retire, but yeah. then you got back up and you got your career that you wanted. Yeah. And then you got knocked down when you, you know, fell into a depression mm. and you keep getting back up. What else can you do? <laughs> That's right. So you're living out what you want your kids to be able yeah. to say to you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and that's that's a mantra that we all should live by. Life is going to give us, nobody is guaranteed a life without challenge. Um it's going to give us things that we never thought were going to come into it. But there's lessons we're going to learn. It's not going to be easy, but we're going to get back up and we're going to try again. <laughs> we're going to keep working towards our goals. So that's And that's something that you do teach your kids. And I know that your kids really um, look up to you, what you have achieved. And, um, and yeah, you're the, you know, you're the biggest supporter. Yeah. You see that. You're a good mum. And um, they're lucky to have you. So let's just finish now on the RMA hot lap. Um, so I changed the questions for you because you're not running. <laughs> and now I'm crying. So I changed the questions um, a little bit uh, to reflect you in your career um, and your life. So my first question is, what is your favourite competition moment? Mine is actually the Sydney Olympic Trials. Um, and the reason I like that one so much is, yes, I did the personal best, but I I did the personal best and I got up when I wasn't expected to. Mm. You did. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's all right. And then you got there. <laughs> what was the biggest influence in your athletic career? Or actually, who, sorry. Who was the biggest influence in your athletic career? My dad. Mm. What makes you say your dad? Because he was my biggest supporter. Yeah. He... And still is. <laughs> yeah, he still is. Um, and yes, like Craig, yes, but my dad, it wouldn't have happened without my dad. Yeah. Um, he drove me to training. He took me on the train to training. He drove me to competitions. He he did all that. Mm. My mum as well. Yeah. Um, but but yeah. Dad. Yeah, your dad's a pretty top guy. Where would you like to see yourself in the next five years? <laughs> Oh, um, I would actually, so I'm starting to get into coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm looking at sort of expanding my business of massage to incorporate the coaching and yeah. down the track, maybe into personal training, strength and conditioning yeah. and, and helping other people. So I'd like to sort of get that mm. up and moving and, and 
Good. And you've just started doing your training for coach, like your level qualifications for coaching, which yep. is great. What would you like to specialize in particularly with your coaching? So for me, it's hurdles. Yeah. Um, Any hurdles out there listening? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, yeah, so hurdles and, and sprints and, and running and then perhaps down the track a little bit more of um, um, sort of with the personal training, sort of fitness and yep. sort of health, sort of off the track kind of mm. stuff. Great. Actually, I just had a thought. I thought, oh, we should do like an intensive, like um, fun day of like come and try hurdles. <laughs> and you could take it. Could. And you could teach us all like how to get over a hurdle. Because <laughs> I'll just be like, I don't think my leg can get over that. But anyway, it'd be fun. Well, hip, hurdle training um, is good for hip mobility. Yeah, I need some just of that. general hip mobility. Yeah. I don't so. think ultra runners have very good hip mobility. <laughs> Let's just say that. Okay, what will you tell yourself that you did well when you were on your deathbed? Oh, this is a hard one because this is acknowledging. Yes, um, it is. It's acknowledging something really good about yourself. Yeah. Um, oh, I don't know. Yeah, you do. I don't. Um, you do. I think I'd like... No, to... no. Not I think I like. I did well. (laughs) Well, in helping other people with their, whether it be high performance athletes on on sort of the the recovery side of things or um, down the track in terms of fitness and and maybe helping other athletes sort of get the THC that I did. Mm. I think that's, that's what I'd like. And I think that will play well with the career that you're now looking at, like expanding into the coaching and yeah. and you'll be able to help foster that with other athletes, which you're going to be so good at. I'm so excited to see you finally um, chase after that because I've been mm. waiting for you <laughs> to just go, yes, I'm, I would be good at that. And um, I think that a lot of people need, particularly female coaches mm. um, yeah. in our sport, going to be incredible i can't wait to watch the next five years for watch you this watch this space everybody <laughs> <laughs> you never know you might get that next person to the olympic games in, in hurdles for australia know. what's one word to describe your experience so far probably challenging mm. i think in a lot of different aspects it's been challenging mm. um hopefully growing I think that's what I'd like it to move into. Yeah, yeah. I think through those challenges, we do have the opportunities to learn and grow from them. So you're definitely in that period of growth. I've seen in the last few years, you're doing amazing things, Mm -hmm. listening, listening to what it is you want Mm -hmm. and chasing after that and learning along the way. So thanks for joining us, Deb. And thank you so much for being so open. Thank you. We got through it without crying. No, we didn't. Not so much. But I hope people get a lot out of this conversation because I think from outside looking in, it can be like, oh, wow, like, you know, that person got to the Olympics. How amazing. Their life must be so easy. Like, or it just, like, it all comes so naturally or, like, I don't think people understand the challenges of, um, one, getting to that level and what you give up and sacrifice to get there. And how that actually plays out when you actually retire as well um, in what that looks like afterwards and those feelings, um, validation 
um, for yourself. And I think, you know, you've learned a lot through that process that hopefully there's other athletes too that are listening in on this that can learn from you and your experience as well. So thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Nick. Such a privilege. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode with Debbie Schulstad. I'm really excited next week on the podcast to bring a special conversation to you with well-known trail runner, world champion orienteer racer, Hanny Olsten. I talked to Hanny about her life, her childhood, her adventures, her racing career, and more importantly, the newest adventure which she's about to embark on, motherhood. I also talked to Hanny about her latest memoir, Finding My Feet which you can purchase now at findyourfeet.com.au. I'm excited to bring this conversation with Hanny to you. It's refreshing and Hanny is the most beautiful person. I hope you get a lot out of it. I really enjoyed Hanny's perspective on life and I know that you will too. And I'm excited to see this new adventure that she's about to embark on. To celebrate Hanny coming on the podcast, Find Your Feet are giving RMA listeners to the podcast 20% off findyourfeet.com.au for the month of December. You can use the code LISTENWILDER to get your 20% off for the month of December. This excludes sale items but is store-wide. Don't forget the RMA member program for 2021 will be opening on December the 1st, so make sure you head to the RMA website to sign up. And for now, I hope you are happy and well.